You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. We're in the first chapter of the Mishnah of Shabbat. And we noticed that the first chapter begins with issues which might with issues with issues which I would call relating to fences around the Torah. So, for example, the tailor doesn't go out with a needle near Shabbat. We don't sit down to uh, to eat a meal around the mincha time. Not that it's not possible to to pray the tefillah after lunch, or that not, and not that it's possible for the tailor to take the needle out of his pockets before Shabbat. But we are anxious. But if we allow the tailor to go out near Shabbat with a needle, or if we sit down to lunch or to judge a court case close to the time of Mincha, we are anxious that we'll get into a situation where we might carry the needle or we might not have time to pray the tefillah. We noticed these fences built up around, uh, if you like, around the halacha, and then we went off into a tangent or what seemed like a tangent as to the definition of the work that's forbidden on Shabbat. And we remember the clash between Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai about whether our whether our objects have to rest on Shabbat as well as our own rest on Shabbat. And remember Beit Hillel ruled that we rest on Shabbat, but our objects don't. So we can put something in, we can set off a dyeing process, we can set off a cooking process, we can uh, set off a soaking process before Shabbat. I guess if we're a winemaker, we can set off a process that takes many, many weeks. We can set off a process before Shabbat and we can let it run on after. Because according to Beit Hillel and the Halakha follows Beit Hillel, although we rest on Shabbat, our processes, our machines don't have to rest. And, you know, the classic, today's classic example might be, for example, a timer that you might put on to turn your lights on on Shabbat or turn them off on Shabbat. And now, as we get to the end of the first chapter, we're going to cover the last two Mishnayot of the first chapter. We're going to take a little bit of a twist. We're going to bring the question of resting machines and the question of the care we take in case something might happen together. We've learned that in principle we can set off a process before Shabbat and let it run on. But the Mishnah says in Mishnah 10, Ein tzolim basar eila We don't roast meat or onion or egg unless they can be roasted while it is still day. The process has to complete while still day. This is just like Beit Shammai. And the Mishnah continues, We don't put bread into an oven as dark falls. A charara is a kind of a cake. We don't put a cake on the coals. Until its surface can form a crust while it's still there. And Rabbi Eliezer says, you know, we have to wait until the bottom forms a crust. Most people think that Rabbi Eliezer is lenient here, that it, 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 um, the bottom forms a crust more quickly if it's on the coals. But there is a view that maybe, maybe Rabbi Eliezer is more strict. But one way or the other, 
this view is a challenge to the view we've taken until now through the chapter because we've take, been taking the view that processes can run through Shabbat and the Mishnah seems to be saying they can't. And I wanted to bring you, I brought you actually in the source sheet, the Bar who was just, he's quoting the Gemara, but he explains this much more succinctly than the Gemara does. Although, by the way, at the end of the source sheet, I brought you the Gemara as well. Kadeshit solu, unless they can be roasted. That's a quote from our Mishnah. The Bar is first going to explain, well, what do we mean by roasted? And he says, Kamachal ben Drusai, like the food of Ben Drusai. Ben Drusai was apparently a pirate. He's a rough guy. And as a pirate or a rough guy, he used to be quite happy to eat his food when it wasn't quite cooked. And he used to eat his food a third cooked. So the, the definition of roasted, according to this Mishnah, is basically a third cooked. It's cooked to the extent that this pirate would eat it. So that's what roasted means. But that's just the detail. Let's The Barthnur is going to come along. He's going to explain the principle as well. And the principle is really important. Let's carry on. Therefore, it's edible. And therefore, there's no need to make a decree for fear that someone would stir the coals. The Bartner is explaining, and he's quoting the Gemara here, that this Mishnah isn't concerned about a process running through Shabbat. The Mishnah is concerned, like the tailor going out with his needle, sort of in the afternoon before Shabbat. The Mishnah is concerned that we might be tempted to adjust the fire, to rake the coals, to put fuel on the fire, to, to basically stir up the fire. The process is not the problem. The problem is the temptation of actually burning the fire, which really is an isur on Shabbat. And that's why, by the way, the Gemara will explain later on that actually if the food is completely raw, you can put it on, on the flame on Shabbat because there's absolutely no fear that the, your food on your raw food is not going to be edible. It's not, there's no way it's going to be edible on Erev Shabbat, however much you stoke up the fire. So if the food is totally raw, it's actually less problematic than if the food is just getting to the point where it's edible and you might want to stoke the fire. And that Mishnah will then raise the question, well, okay, that's for normal people or for normal situations. We're going to be we're going to take great care that we don't stoke the fire on Shabbat. But what about a different situation? What if we are in a place where people are careful? Let's look at the last Mishnah. And this is actually the last Mishnah of the Perak. And we've always said that the last Mishnah in the Perak is important and it sets a tone. So let's just take a second here. Mishal Shin et Pesach Batanur im Hachashecha. We, Michelle, the, the, the word Mishal Shin is related to the word for chain. And I've translated it here as lowers. We, we chain the Passover sacrifice into the oven just before nightfall, or we lower it in with a chain. It seems like we are kicking, this is by the way, on, this is clearly on Shabbat, by the way, this is when Pesach falls, 
This is when Erev Pesach is on Erev Shabbat and Pesach falls on Shabbat. So we've just slaughtered the Pesach offering. By the way, there's a lot of time pressure when we're slaughtering the Pesach offering because there are thousands of offerings to be slaughtered. So you can imagine there's a queue, right? And you can't necessarily get your offering killed and out of the temple really early on in the afternoon. You don't have much time. And of course, you do have to roast it and eat it for the Seder. So there's time pressure. And we're in a group. We're in a group. Because the, the Pesach, uh, people make a group to eat the Pesach sacrifice. So the Mishnah is saying, look, in contrast to what we're saying about not, you know, putting food on to roast before Shabbat, we actually do that for Pesach. And it continues. <laughs> They light the fire in the fireplace of the chamber of the hearth. This is a part of the Beit Migdash where they used to keep a fire burning to keep the priests warm during the night. It was cold in the Beit Migdash because the, the, the floors were stone. But out in the promise, out in the provinces, in the provinces you can't do that. You have to wait until the fire is really caught over the whole of its body. And Rabbi Yudah says, "Well, okay, for coal we can be a bit lenient. It only has to take a little. It has to, to take take a, a little bit of fire." And the Baratanur is again going to explain the philosophy. Michelle Shin et Pesa, we lower the Passover sacrifice or we chain it down. He goes on to say, The ovens had their openings above. They're a bit like these sort of cone-shaped things, a bit like the shrine of the book in Jerusalem. It's a cone-shaped object and it's got a hole at the top. So you build the fire at the bottom and you lower the food in at the top on the chain. I've actually been in India and I've seen people build ovens out of old oil drums. It's exactly the same technique. You've got this oil drum, just like a conical shape. You put the fire at the bottom and then you lower the stuff in from the top. And that's why it teaches. That's why they lower it in. And the Gemara is going to say that the, 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 re the, the reason why we can do this on Pesach when we can't do it in other times of the year, is we are in a group. And the members of the group are expected to keep an eye on one another. And they know it's Pesach. They're in holiday mood. They're going to keep the halacha. They're not going to stoke the fire. Similarly, in the temple, we're dealing with kohanim. Kohanim are careful. They're not going to stoke the fire. There's an awesome difference between keeping lighting a fire just before Shabbat in the temple where the where the the the, the um, where the staff are careful to keep Shabbat and lighting a fire out in the provinces. There's an awesome difference, and that's why the halacha is different. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah podcast with Benedict. <laughs>